Hey, y'all. Morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, Hannah. <laughs> Big wave from Hannah over there. That's fun. I love it. Um, hey, like Mark said, we are continuing our series in Acts 2, specifically Acts 2, 42 through 47, because we honestly and earnestly believe that this is the picture uh, that Jesus, uh, the picture of the church that Jesus came to restore uh, and build his kingdom on the shoulders of. And so we want to see this thing come to life here at Antioch. Amen. So let's open our Bibles up. Acts 2, 42 through 47. I hope that this passage is basically ingrained in your mind by the time we get done with this series, because I think uh, it's that formational. It goes like this, Acts 2, 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I can't wait for that place to come alive. Come on, y'all. Acts 2.42, beautiful picture. And today we're going to hone in. We've talked about uh, just the general need for devotion that Acts seems to point out. We talked about the specifically being devoted to the apostles' teaching, to Scripture, to truth, letting this be the foundation of our lives, of our culture, of our families. And so we're going to just move on through what this is painting a picture of. And I'm going to use the word today, uh, the table. Because in this, in this uh, outline, we look, we see words like fellowship, the coming together to share. We see words like breaking bread, both in the temple where there was often a table and in the home where there was a table. And so if you can help me out today, let's connect the word table with any time that we are uh, meeting together, fellowshipping with one another and food is involved. Can you do that? Hold on to that little nugget for me. Great. Uh, and I say that, I'm using the word table. There it is. That's my table. Because I think tables are very significant things in the life of the follower of a believer. Um, a few years ago, our family, we were, we were in the middle of a move and uh, we hated our table. <laughs> and uh, it's just, you know, you get the hand-me-down and you use it for years and years and it gets beat up and that's beautiful. But we're like, man, we want a new table. And uh, as we started dreaming about like what? What do we want this table to look like? I was struck by how important it was to me. I was like, oh, I thought tables were tables until I started asking myself, what kind of table do I want? And as I started asking, I realized that there's a, a function to a table that's really important. Like a terrible table is one that you sit at and it's like taller than you, right? Like it needs to be at the right level. You need to be able to sit. I prefer around it. So like in coffee shops, those like counters that are all against the wall and we all do this. Weird. I don't get those. So that's not going to be my table. There's like a function that's necessary. It needed to be able to fit in my home. We don't have a huge dining room. And so uh, it had to be big enough to fit in there. But then also my hope was that it could, it could increase in size and actually uh, be able to host more people than the family of six, thank you, Jordan, um, that we have in our home. Jordan uh, is part of our family. If, if you didn't know that, she lives with us. Anyway, um, and so I wanted, it needed some function to it. And then it needed to be like, you know, kind of 
pretty to a degree. Like you want a table that, that like calls you in, that, that invites you to come and sit at it. And if you don't know this about me, I love doing woodwork. And I've got like hundreds of dollars of, of raw walnut that I've been like dreaming about building a table with. But, <laughs> but um, as we started thinking about this idea of table, I was like, well, I can't build my like mid-century modern, clean line, awesome hardwoods table because I want a table I can do life around. And my kids are going to scratch that and drinks are going to be spilled. Um, it's just going to get destroyed. And so I wanted something that like looked nice enough, but not so nice that I'd be afraid to come to the table. And so uh, this is what we ended up with, this oak old table that I think we, somebody gave to us and we refinished and made it a little nicer than the 80s version that it was, all orange and weird. Um, and now we do life around it, and it's beautiful. We, this is from a Seder feast that we had a handful of years ago. People have come to our home, even when we're gone, to host feasts in our absence. Like, our table is a wonderful, beautiful thing. All the young adults are chuckling right now because they've taken advantage of our home, and we're blessed by that. <laughs> anyway, the table is a significant thing in the life of the follower of Jesus. And it was crazy to me preparing uh, for this message because I'm like, yeah, yeah, tables are important because I like to eat food and I like people and family or whatever. But I was blown away, blown away by the significance. Here it comes. <laughs> um, I'm the crier. It's a running joke in our church. Um, I was blown away by the significance of the table that Jesus invited me into. And I don't just mean metaphorically in the spiritual realm, although I mean that. But when I was 18 years old, um, Brock and Deanna Snook um, welcomed me into their home, probably because they were terrified of me. I had an interest in, like, the friend of one of their daughters. I was this uh, frontman band guy, and I think they were super nervous about that. And so they welcomed me into their home to figure out who the heck this guy was. Uh, I was super broken. Uh, I had been practically raising myself for years um, I moved out at 17, uh, had no Jesus uh, to my life. And they're like, hey, come and eat. We'd love to feed you. Why don't you come on in? Tricky, tricky, tricky little people because there was a seat at the table available for me and they fed me and they asked about my life and they loved me really well. <laughs> and then slowly in that relationship, they, they started not only sharing their food, but their love and their wisdom with me, steering me away from things that were causing a tremendous amount of death in my life and into better things. And eventually, like, that's the place I found Jesus. It was at a table. I think it's significant not just for my story, but I actually think a lot of the heart of God is wrapped up in that idea. I actually got to even go forward and, like, I lost my dad at 19 suddenly. And I mourned at that table. I was comforted at that table. That same table was actually the table that my bride and I sat at for our, in the wedding reception and celebrated like the new life of Jesus that he had been creating in both of us because tables are significant places in the life of a Jesus follower. Or at least they should be. That was like 20 years ago, which isn't that long ago, but makes me feel really old. Um, 
But if I look around today, I don't see the life of the table really uh, living its fullness in the, in the fellowship of believers. There's a huge cultural component to that. Studies show that it's, it's getting more and more rare for people to even eat together. Americans specifically, sadly, eat less and less. We've taken fellowship out of the table and we've replaced it with quick consumption. That sounds like America to me, almost to a T. In fact, the average American eats one in every five meals in their car. One in four Americans eats at least one fast food meal every single day. We talked about, what, Taco Bell? You were, you were, yeah, you were destroying Taco Bell the other day. Um, from the pulpit, not like feeding his face. Uh, and the majority of American families report eat, eating a single meal together less than five days a week. And like, we become really aware of, as a culture, like the nutritional value that we need to carry when it relates to the table and food. We're starting to learn that like this industrialization of farming and GMOs and modified food is like really detrimental to the body. But somehow we've completely missed the reality that the psychological effects of the table are affecting us every single day. A few studies that I found while I was prepping for this I mean, one, just the reality, like, eating food has become about comfort. It's a thing that we often do in isolation to make ourselves feel better when life is chaotic and stressful. I know I do. I'm like, ha, 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 everything's okay. Um, like, that is how I deal. That's, that's a psychological effect of an unhealthy uh, relationship with the table. More than that, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development found all of these stats. Here we go. Students who do not regularly eat with their parents are 15% more likely to be truant at school. 15% is not a ton, but it's more than I want my kids dipping out. The art, uh, an article I read in The Atlantic stated that children who do not eat dinner with their parents at least twice a week were 40% more likely to be overweight compared to those who do. That's just interesting. Like, why? On the contrary to that, children who do eat dinner with their parents five or more days a week have less trouble with drugs and alcohol, eat healthier, show better academic performance, and report being closer with their parents than children who eat dinner uh, with their parents less often. And so notice here, we're not talking about what they're eating. We're talking about how they're eating and who they're eating with. And I think that is really, really significant to us as the people of Jesus. My obligatory garden... Reference, uh, I love the story of the garden. Uh, it just shows who we are so beautifully. But the thing that, that derailed us um, was, was wrong communion. We went and ate from something we weren't supposed to be eating from. Eating is not what derailed us. It was, it was wrong communion, which drove us into hiding and shame. And as much as all that has weight, that comes up against our normal life of yeah, but like I got to put in extra hours this week. And the kids have games or ballet or, you know, I got exams or whatever the thing. Like there's the reality of life that we're struck with that maybe we've created ourselves, but it is what it is. On top of that, just the thought of inviting someone into your home 
with the, the like pile of laundry in the corner and the dishes that are undone and the non-Pinterest aesthetic that's present in your house or your dorm room. Like, oh my gosh, there's not enough copper and, and like leather in my house. Like, what? <laughs> what? Like that, but that like keeps us in fear of, of bringing people or coming to the table with others. And then on top of that, on top of that, on top of that, we know this in the last two years, just the reality of our own emotional, physical, mental, spiritual states being less than the epitome of health makes it really scary to think of, can I even sit with somebody else right now? And I think this is costing us, as a body of believers, this is costing us dearly because I really see the image of the kingdom of God coming to life around a table. You guys with me? That might seem like, well, where's the table verses? You know, like, you did the table, God says. Uh, but I want to look maybe more at what's a biblical overview. See, when we see things come up time and time and time again in Scripture, those are themes that we should really pay attention to. And the table is one of those things, eating together, breaking bread together. And Jesus loves the table. Like he spent a lot of time at the table. Do you know that about the life of Jesus? So the thing that we just thought, like read about in Acts 2 here, it wasn't, it wasn't an accident. Like it, it wasn't just, well, Holy Spirit came in Acts 1, so of course they're eating at the table. No, this was built. It wasn't organic. I just want to like show up and it's easy and like people are like naturally get along. This was built and discipled by Jesus. Intentionally built. The lifestyle that they're living in Acts 2 was discipled for, for four years into an upper room experience that led to Acts 2. That's the story that we're part of. That's the story we're diving into here. Which means it's important. Like if Jesus takes the time to create a spiritual discipline for his people, pay attention to it. We ready to pay attention? Cool. We're going to hop back because Jesus, even in his last, uh, sorry, we're going to hop back to Luke 22. He loved it so much that when he thinks about, man, what, how do I want to spend my last moments with the men and women that I have given my life over the last few years to, who have been covered in my dust. I'm their rabbi. How do I want to spend the last moments with them before I go and I get up on a cross for their sake? Let's have dinner. Luke 22, starting in verse 14, says this, And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves, for I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Behold, the hand of him. This might not be up there, but we're going to go there anyway. Behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. We'll hold that one just for a little later. But just read that and look at the heart of Jesus to be at the table with people. One, just like Jesus reclining at table. Such a weird phrase. The literal translation of the Greek is straight chilling. <laughs> Not really, because I don't speak Greek. But like, can you imagine just showing up in a room and Jesus is just there like non-anxious presence, just hanging out. Just like, so like you come in the room, it's like, oh man, I'm so glad you're here. Have a seat at the table. Like he's just reclining. He's so present and non-anxious in this space. He's going to get on a cross, but he's at the table. It's so, I love it. It's so, so cool. And then he says this. It's like a love letter from us to him. I have earnestly desired to eat this with you. Love Jesus. He loves to be with his people at the table. It's what he desires because it best captures his purposes on the earth. N.T. Wright writer, theologian, says this. He writes, When Jesus himself wanted to explain to his disciples what his forthcoming death was all about, he didn't give them a theory. He gave them a meal. That's a big deal. And specifically in this meal, there's three things present. We see it in the account we just read in the Last Supper. It's present in every single gospel depiction of the feeding of the multitudes or the feeding of the 5,000 and a ton of other uh, of times with Jesus at the table. It's these three things that are present. Blessing, brokenness, and giving. Those ingredients, those expressions, those hallmarks belong at the table of Jesus in fellowship with one another. And so that's what we're going to look today. Eugene Peterson actually says this. Uh, he observed that this pattern of being blessed, broken, and given is at the heart of the Christian story. There he rightly insists, this is the shape of the Eucharist. This is the shape of the gospel. This is the shape of the Christian life. It's being blessed allowing brokenness and giving all at the table of Jesus. And so let's dive into those three aspects so we know how to be at the table with one another and with Jesus rightly. The first of those is, is a blessing. The table of Jesus is a place to receive and celebrate the blessings of God. So what are the blessings of God? How do we, how do, we do that? Man, I don't know about you guys, but like, does anybody like to eat? This is just like the lowest hanging fruit way down here. The blessings of God. You know we have 10,000 taste buds? Ten over. It's over 10,000. Like we can taste and see that the Lord is good, literally. Like I, maybe I love food too much. I'm sorry if I do. Uh, I try to eat well when I'm in a good mood and not eat. Anyway. <laughs> we'll keep going. Like that's just, that alone, that is just us being blessed people, going, man, God, you're good, and I can celebrate that. But we've got a God who's better than that. Like, that's chump change for God. 
in this Last Supper, he says, do this in remembrance of me. Really recall my blessings. And if you've been part of like uh, church culture, uh, of religion, and you've interacted with something called Mass or Communion or the Eucharist, um, often that's what we do. We come together to remember specifically what Jesus did. We remember the passage. Jesus gave himself up to give us access to what we walked away from. We're blessed. He did that. And the thing that we walked away from was to walk in communion with him in the cool of the garden. And he made a way back for that. That's beautiful. But I really, really, really believe that us remembering what Jesus did goes beyond remembering the past. I think we as a people need to get beyond just remembering what Jesus did. Because when we come together at the table with Jesus, we're not at a memorial service. We're not at a funeral going, oh, remember the life of Jesus? That was so good. Because I don't know about you guys, when I go to a memorial service, and I've painfully been to a lot of them, um, I don't leave there excited to keep journeying with the people, the person I just was celebrating. So we got to shift our mind a little and hold on to that past thing, which is beautiful and right and necessary, but also couple it together with the present and the future because all of that is the blessing that we sit in. And so to, to, how do we do that then? How do we celebrate, celebrate the present? I'm trying to go fast so you guys can have lunch today and live this out. Um, so here we go, the present. How do you celebrate the present? This helps, just do this. Did breath come out of your lungs? Even if it didn't smell great, you were breathing. That is a gift. A gift from God. And we forget it. I was wrecked yesterday. I'll probably be wrecked right now. Yep. Um, good friends of ours, I found out yesterday. Um, they're a little older than us, but probably like five, ten years at most. Uh, Husband, wife, and a son, and the, the husband suffered two strokes this week and is unresponsive in the hospital. Kid, the, the age of my kids, and, you know, those are the things that, that, one, we intercede and we pray for with everything in us, but then it also causes us to look inward and go, wow, God, you let me wake up today. We have a million reasons to be blessed today. Job 10, 12 says, You have granted me life and steadfast love, and your care has preserved my spirit. Thank you, Jesus. You want something else to be thankful for right now? The beginning of that song, Jaira, I've been singing it all morning. I'll never be more loved than I am right now. Right? That's your reality. Like his love goes from everlasting to everlasting. Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, which means it doesn't matter how you got to the table. You are as loved at the table as you were any other time or ever could be again at that same place. So we remember, we celebrate the present, and then we hold the past and the present with the future because there is a coming glory that we sit and we rejoice and we remember. And it's, it's like a twofold coming glory. There's like a coming glory for me and there's a coming glory for us. 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, 
are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That means that even though the life I used to live looks incredibly different than the one I'm living with Jesus right now, he's not finished. He takes me from glory to glory to glory because his image that I get to see and fix my eyes on is so beautiful that it's going to change my life. So I remember that, even if it hasn't happened yet. And then I just sit in this reality of like, all of us, our promise, our future reality is a wedding feast. It's a little on the nose, Jesus, for what I'm talking about right now. Like Revelation uh, 19.9 says, And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. We have so much to remember. We have so much blessing to bring to the table. And can you imagine Brothers, sisters, like friends, what would happen if we did that regularly? Like if we sat down at the table and we did it in remembrance of Jesus, my table would shift from the reality that it is right now to something way better than that. It would change my outlook as I'm coming in from a hard day of ministry or work or school or with kids or whatever and make me go, oh my God, that is the God we worship. Thank you for saying that. I needed to hear that. I would remember who I'm devoted to. It would be a place of, of reinitiation of covenant. Like I would be like, yeah, you're right. I'm under that blood. Thank you, Jesus. And I often think that like, this is maybe what we're the worst at. People would see Jesus in us because we'd have him on our hearts, in our minds, and in our mouths. Like people would be like, you really think that about the God you worship? Because I met all these other people who say that and then live this way. Like it would image God really well to others. And there's a place for those people at our table. Which is going to take me to the next point. Nice. Uh, <laughs> brokenness. Brokenness is uh, a necessary ingredient at the table. And I would say Jesus wants brokenness at his table. Not in the weird like go be broken to be at the table. That's don't. That's bad theology. Never let anyone tell you that's what he's saying. But I, I believe as Jesus is, is in this Last Supper picture, breaking this bread and saying it represents his body, anyone in that culture couldn't help but see the savage nature of what Jesus was doing at the table. Like there was no, uh, so I'll have like mizzen knives because I like to cook and some people are like Wustaf and some people are Cutco or whatever. But like there was no bread knife at this table to slice up like neat slices. This is like a savage ripping apart of bread. And he's saying, I'm breaking this for y'all. And the reality of that is that brokenness is so that our brokenness can come and sit at the table, which means brokenness is required and wanted and necessary at the table. It, it, it pulls on us and it transforms us in beautiful ways. Jesus does this over and over. He just extends invitation after invitation after invitation to people as he's walking. He extends a seat at the table. Hey, come, come sit. In Luke 5, after he, he meets Levi, also known as Matthew, they have a meal together. Levi was a tax collector, like the most deplorable human in this culture. Like everybody hated him. His mom hated him. Like everybody hated this guy. 
And after Jesus says, come follow me, they eat together. And Jesus uses the opportunity to teach on the fact that he's not come to call the righteous, but, to, but the sinners. Just a side note, this isn't a table conversation, but it is. Uh, we're a discipleship-based uh, church. We believe that discipleship is how we walk with one another towards Jesus. This is an interesting picture. Levi had no business inviting a rabbi to his house. Not just because of his sin, but actually because of his like life stage, his standing. So this is the picture of walking into a church and you see the pastor up there and you're a young adult, you're in college, you're whatever, and you're like, I'm going to invite pastor over to my house. I see this family who carries something that I really want in my life. I'm going to invite them into my house. Levi wasn't waiting to be invited to Jesus' house. He went and got discipleship. Side note, back to the message. <laughs> Brokenness is necessary at the table. And water. Luke 7, just another example. Jesus has dinner uh, at Simon the Pharisee's house. And this sinful woman comes and washes Jesus' feet at the outrage of the Pharisees and everybody else who's in the room. Like just, it's kind of crazy because it's like broken religious people and just sinful women coming together. And it's just this like broken slushy. I don't know. Uh, and, and, uh, and Jesus is like, uh-huh, that's my table. That's where I want to be, right there. Keeps inviting brokenness in. The, the one that'll get you, Peter, man. Peter, whew. Peter's a fun guy. So Jesus Right after this, uh, right before this meal, Jesus foretells that Peter is going to deny him three times. Peter's one of his disciples. They've walked together for years. Peter's like the boldest, scrappiest disciple. Jesus tells him, oh, I'm going to build. You will be the rock. I'm going to build my church on you. And then he's like, and also you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, you don't know. I'm like the scrappy one, Jesus. But then he does it. He denies him three times. Jesus dies. He's crucified. So after the resurrection, Jesus makes, intentionally goes and visits Peter. Peter's like gone back to the work he used to do. He's out fishing. He's in the water. And Jesus calls him onto the shore, onto solid ground. And in an act of restoration, he says, let's have breakfast. Why? Because brokenness is necessary at the table. Which means your brokenness is necessary at the table. Which means your broken relationships are necessary at the table. Like when my wife and I are fighting, we need to have people over for dinner. It's what saved our marriage. Ask us about it seven years ago. Letting people into the mess will change your life. When I don't feel like I'm the Jesus follower I hoped I could be, I invite people in. When, when uh the, just the broken worldview of the people around me that I'm like, oh, like I'm trying to like raise my kids up and if that person comes in, like they're gonna affect my kid and blah, 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 blah. No, you bring that person to the table and you show your children how to love them and the worldview will have nothing on that. It's because our brokenness and the brokenness of other people belong at our tables. That's our acts to reality And let's just be honest, it's really hard to receive breakthrough in isolation or healing or encouragement. It's hard to have identity spoken over you sometimes when you're not hearing Jesus well. And someone else goes, I see this in you, man. So we need the brokenness at the table. We need to make room for that. 
blessing, brokenness. And the third ingredient is giving. Every one of these meals, Jesus is like, hands it out. He gives it away, giving a place to give what we have to bless others. That is what your table is. In Acts 2, uh, the word fellowship in Greek, I do know this one, it's, it's translated koinonia, which often means sharing and giving. And so that's the fellowship they're having there. In 2 Corinthians 9.13, the same words used as Paul says this to the church, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of their submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and, this is koinonia, the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. There's this necessity to share at the table all others, not just like the people in this room who are like, Jesus, everybody else too. It's because the table was built to be missional. Like from the early days in the temple, the table had a mission. You guys know what I'm talking about? There was this altar in the Holy of Holies and sacrifice was brought to it to make people clean and whole. It's always had a mission. The mission of, God, of the table for the people of Jesus is the sharing of the resource of the kingdom with those who have not tasted and seen it. Little fact I learned this week, I no, no clue. I, didn't, uh, I haven't interacted a ton with the Catholic faith, but everyone's heard of mass maybe. Yeah, that's what's happening. Where's the door? Over there right now? Um, yeah, Mass. I learned this. It blew my mind. Mass, often I think of as just like the taking of bread and wine. Uh, and I learned that the word Mass is short for this Latin phrase that I'm about to butcher. Ite missa est. I think that's how you say it. But it means this verbatim. Go for you are sent out. I never knew that. That's phenomenal. <laughs> Go for it. Eat this because you are sent people. And invite other people. Eat this because you're a sent person. It's a missional place. Matthew 14 is my favorite depiction of this, but it's in every single gospel. I mentioned it, the feeding of the 5,000 or the multitude. Jesus feeds the crowds. It's a miracle, but it's also Jesus meeting the need right in front of him. The disciples come up and say the people are hungry and tired. And he's like, let's feed them. And what was required for that to happen was for the disciples to bring what they had, place it in the hands of Jesus, allow Jesus to bless it. They then broke it and distributed it to thousands and thousands and thousands of people miraculously. If you're looking for ingredient miracles, those are good ones. Play with them. And I'd say in our tables today, this is food absolutely, like it should be. But it's also like, what else are you carrying? Is it the love that you carry for people? Is it the wisdom and the life with Jesus that you've carried that other people need to taste and see that they're hungry for that? That's what we feed people with at our tables. So it doesn't matter like if you got ribeye at the table or if you got ramen at the table, you have something. And listen to this, every stage of life, every SEC, it doesn't matter. God has given you something to break and bless with. Everyone. 
I would love to come over to your house and eat saltine crackers. I would be absolutely blessed by that. That's how I grew up. And it was a blessing when people came and joined us. You have something to break and to give. That's the picture that this Acts 2 passage is pointing to. An Acts 2 community who's alive with table fellowship. It's central to the heart of Jesus. It's necessary for our own apprenticeship to Jesus. But something keeps us all from it. Every single one of us. I'm guilty. I'm not pointing fingers, but like, y'all guilty. (laughs) We're guilty people in this. And I think it's really just the wrong view of these three aspects that we talked about. And so that's kind of what I want to just invite Holy Spirit into as we begin wondering, like, how do I do that? Like, how do I start living this out then? Like, cool, you made an argument for eating at a table. But again, my life hasn't changed. So like, how do I do that? Well, I believe by the power of the Holy Spirit, we invite him to speak to us and convict us. For many of you, as I've been talking, something I said went, cool, cool, cool. Like you tried to like brush it off, but that was for you. So grab it and listen to it. That's the voice of the spirit that is alive and active in you, speaking to you. Maybe that didn't happen. We're going to create a little more space for that, a little time of reflection, um, where I'm going to put just a handful of prompts up on the, on the screen here, where we can begin to discover where maybe have I forgotten blessing? Where have I forgotten the necessity of brokenness? Where maybe have I forgotten the need for giving? And so, Tim, if you throw those up for me, great. I'm going to invite Jacob up. Hey, Jacob, you're like right there. He's just going to play some music over us, and we're just going to begin prayerfully seeking the Lord on these things. Lord, what's your invitation? Obviously, all of it's your invitation, but he doesn't need you to arrive in this very moment. He just wants to call you forward. So ask him, is it blessing you need me to, like, be reimagined and re-envisioned around? Do you need to speak blessing over me right now, Lord? Is it an invitation to brokenness, an invitation to the people that my relationship is broken with, Lord? Do I need to maybe go and mend some of that brokenness? I don't know. I'm going to let him speak, but I think the Lord wants to speak to you today. And so I'll pray for us. I'll give us some space, and then I'm going to call us back together, and we're going to actually be together in communion after this. Jesus. Thank thank you that you have earnestly desired to eat this meal with us. That you've invited everybody. That you said, I'll sit even with the person who's going to deceive me. I'll break bread. The hurting and the broken. I'll use my table as as a place for social justice and reform to live. Thank you, Jesus for your body and your blood poured out so that all of that could be possible. So would you just show us what is ours as people that you are individually walking forward with, people that you are sanctifying little by little so that we could image you more and more. Would you call us forward from glory to glory today, Jesus? Speak to us, Lord.